0: I've been asking Seth when he's going to belt it out like that, but he hasn't given me an answer yet. So, what? That was you! Oh my gosh, it's a miracle. They do exist. Um, so, I have a good friend of mine who recently graduated with his PhD in psychology. And my friend actually studied um, traumatic brain injuries. and. Uh, Over a cup of coffee this week, he was telling me all about his research in a way that left me a little mind numb and zoning out, (laughs) if I'm completely honest. But he also shared some things with me that I found really interesting. So he did a lot of work on this thing called your parasympathetic nervous system, which some of you probably know much more about than I do. But uh, over my cup of coffee, he shared with me that uh, this thing that controls memory and is in relation to kind of stress and trauma is much like kind of Goldilocks. There's a point uh, where we've experienced stress or trauma in our lives, and our parasympathetic nervous system holds on to everything, almost in a photographic memory uh, kind of way. We can remember the smallest details, smells, sounds, images. And then on the other end of the spectrum, when our parasympathetic nervous system isn't activated, we can feel a sense of malaise or, or apathy. There's a point where we're stressed out enough where, thankfully, we can black everything out. We just don't remember at all. Um, And I'm really grateful for this in my memory. I'm very glad that there are moments in my life that that my mind has decided that I just don't need to remember. Um, And then there's the sweet spot. Not too hot and not too cold, but just right. Where we've created enough of a challenge and a stretch for us that we actually are able to retain things at a greater level than if we um, exist in kind of the normal states on either end. And so this morning, I am going to activate your parasympathetic nervous system. You're welcome. I know you're all so grateful. Um, My Lutheran pastor husband asked me, he's like, when are you actually going to ever preach a normal sermon again? And I was like, maybe never. Um, But this morning, Uh, Maybe you received a card and a writing utensil. If not, there's some in the back of your pews, and you can use your bulletin just as well. And I'm going to ask you to take a couple of minutes and to reflect on who or what God is to you. Maybe you write down words that describe God for you in your mind, maybe loving or kind, father or mother, generous, grace Um, Or maybe you're someone who hates words and wants to draw images. Both are beautiful and good. Um, But I'm going to ask you to take a minute now um, in some silence to really write and reflect and to meditate on who or what God is to you. So don't worry, this isn't a test in any way. We're not a church that's about tests here. Um, And this list hopefully isn't exhaustive, right? Each of us has a way of knowing and um, experiencing something much larger than ourselves in ways that are truly reflective of the beautiful diversity of God. Um, I love one of my favorite theologians writes that uh, if I make my own understanding of God into God, I've created an idol of nothing more than my own intelligence and ability to understand. Um, And so the diversity that we've written about who or what we feel God is is truly reflective of of the holy. So I'm going to ask you to hold on to this. I promise that we're going to um, use it later. And now I invite you to hear from the psalmist a passage that will tell us a little bit about who or what or how uh, this person in ancient Israel understands God. A reading from Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord guards the city, the guard keeps watch in vain. It is vain that you rise up early and go go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives sleep to his beloved. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Amen. Amen. Would you pray with me? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be glorified in your sight. For you, O God, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So my first Easter at this church was filled with light and flowers and timpani and brass and so much joy and so much celebration but if I'm honest with you, it was also filled with a deep-seated fear. See, I don't know about you, but I have this insidious little voice inside of my head that tells me that I can do it all. And following our church's Good Friday service, I left suburban Chicago and drove south or along the cornfields of Middle Illinois until I hit Springfield, where I was going to run in the half marathon the following day. I stayed with a dear friend who woke up with me early. And in that cold spring morning, I joined other runners as we ran across the streets of our state capitol. And while the race had gone uneventfully enough, I have to tell you that the ride home was another story as I bounced from gas station to gas station, overcome with an upset stomach unlike any that I had ever known before. And that Easter morning with all of the he is risen's in my white robe, I prayed like I have never prayed before that God would spare me and my white robe would remain pristine. <laughs> but I made it through, <laughs> thankfully. Uh, and made it quickly my way to the emergent care following the second service for fluids and the sweet relief that only uh, appropriately prescribed prescription drugs can offer. (laughs) The following year, I entered Holy Week with the overconfidence of someone who had told themselves, I will never do that again, and I know better now, until the reality of life hit with the force that totaled our little Honda Fit in that dreaded Jewel Osco parking lot over on Roosevelt Road. I was rushing to pick up the beloved food of youth groups everywhere, Little Caesar's $5 hot and ready pizzas. When a woman reversed her car and hit the driver's side, exploding my airbags, and I crawled out the other door, calling one of our trusted youth group adult leaders, I still made it to pick up the pizza and was ready in time for youth group that night. I would not be stopped. And I held on to the fact that I had planned ahead, scheduling myself a week at Holy Wisdom Monastery, a women's ecumenical Benedictine monastery outside of Madison, Wisconsin. And so in my rental car, I drove, desperately needing some time for reflection, and prayer. My first morning began in communal prayer with all the sisters, and I was eager to head out with all the things that I would need to have a deeply meaningful and spiritual day. And so I packed my bag. I packed this bag when I left the retreat house that morning, and I packed it with everything that I thought I would need. I packed it with my Bible, because nothing says rest and retreat like wanting to read through as much of this book as humanly possible. I packed it with my journal because I was afraid that I would be struck by some wisdom that, I, that would leave me if I didn't write it down immediately. So I packed a journal. I packed a prayer book where I could read and reflect on God's presence in the world. I packed a book of poetry because I think God speaks through this language too. And then, if I'm honest with you, I also packed a little bit of fiction in case I needed to escape from all the serious things and just have some time away. And then, of course, because God wants you to be hydrated, I packed my water bottle into this bag as well. And I packed all this in, and I headed out, put it over my shoulder, and I headed out to walk across the beautiful preserved prairie that the sisters keep. And I walked through the woods, and around a beautiful little pond. And this moment that I thought I was going to feel inspired instead left me with nothing more but feeling perspired. (laughs) My neck and my back began to hurt from the weight of all the things that I was carrying, all the things that I thought would help me connect to God, but did nothing more than add a weight that I couldn't sustain. And I wonder about that, because I, like the psalmist, I had woken up early eating the anxious bread of toil. And ironically, I was even doing this in a place that was designed to be a place of rest and a place of Sabbath. Since that day, I've wondered a lot what it is about me but continually finds myself in patterns of too muchness. Also, how does my understanding of God tie into the restlessness and the relentlessness that I live by? If I believe that God is truly grace-filled and loving, kind, peace and joy, if I truly believe that, then why is taking sabbath So hard. Keeping Sabbath reflects freedom from work, something that many of us are familiar with. And maybe if you remember a bygone era, or like me, lived in a rural community, or even if you're a Chick-fil-A lover, you might remember a time when stores were closed on Sundays, where we took the literal interpretation of Sabbath as freedom from work seriously. This week, when I was studying Sabbath, though, I was met with an interesting reflection. The context of where Sabbath falls in the Bible is important. See, when God gives Moses the commandments on Mount Sinai, we're in the book of Exodus. And this happens right after the Israelites have left Egypt, a land where they had known hard labor and slavery. And in giving a command to keep the Sabbath, God is speaking of Sabbath as an act of liberation and freedom for the Israelites from the slavery of Pharaoh. Maybe maybe taking that time is hard because I've allowed Pharaoh to take up place in my life. Instead of relying on a God who, as the psalmist says, gives rest to God's beloved. I sometimes confuse God with my ego, my pride, my self-righteousness. As Walter Brueggemann puts it, insatiable gods of imperial productivity. Brueggemann, a Hebrew Bible scholar, goes on to write that our God is a God of mercy, of steadfast love and faithfulness, who is committed to covenantal relationship and fidelity and at the tap root of this divine commitment is relationship is covenant rather than commodity creation is to be enacted and embraced without deafening anxiety indeed such divine rest serves to dismantle endless relentlessness and restlessness sanctioned by other gods Talking this week to a friend of mine, Molly, who's on the board of her synagogue in New York, Molly spoke beautifully about how Shabbat, the Jewish practice of Sabbath in her Reformed understanding, centered around a Friday time of lighting candles and sharing food, being in community and worship. She told me it's prescriptive and not restrictive. That Shabbat is about creating space to question, to live with a greater sense of intentionality, to show up and to be present, to allow that space and that ritual to ground you for the rest of the week ahead. She said that Shabbat is so integral to living and breathing what it means to be Jewish. Shabbat's not about escapism, but confrontation of who we are and how we are actually living. Asking the question, is this really what I want for my life? Reflecting on the sadness of our world, where there are sanctuaries and synagogues that have become places of violence instead of peace, I asked my friend Molly if she was ever worried about going to a Shabbat service or if all this violence made her want to show up less. And she said this, she said, if someone kills me because I'm Jewish, they will change the way that I die, but they will not change the way that I live. I cannot help be moved and inspired by these words and what we, what all of us have to learn from them. How do we draw upon the rituals of our tradition, rituals like baptism, to give comfort and strength and peace, to give us hope for the life and the world to come? How can we learn from the wisdom of our Jewish siblings about how to live with a sense of intentionality? In a world of constant multitasking, where we're told that we need to achieve and accomplish, perform and possess, I desperately wanted Sabbath. I desperately hungered for Sabbath. And so from sundown Friday to sundown Saturday this week, I attempted to keep Sabbath and to make it holy. I put my phone face down on a bookshelf and packed up my computer. I refused to turn on lights or to drive, to purchase anything, or to my husband's chagrin, I refused to shower or to cook. (laughs) There was no emailing or phone calls. There was no Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or text messaging. For a day, just a day, I wanted to make my world a little smaller. As I woke in the morning, I found myself almost reflexively falling into my pattern, brushing my teeth, making the coffee, putting away the dishes, taking out the dog. And then I caught myself. Today was supposed to be different. My crippling heavy bag of books was replaced with one book that I read on and off as I sat outside in the warm spring sunshine, bundled up with a blanket. I took my dog on long walks instead of running any marathon or great race. I didn't drive anywhere, so I couldn't be T-boned picking up Little Caesars in the Jewel parking lot. And I knew that what I had was enough. And I knew that I was enough. When we look at what we believe about who or what God is, I invite you, if you wrote down things or drew things, to take a look at it. Who or what do you think God is? If we truly believe those words, those things that we wrote on our card this morning, maybe that God is love or God is wisdom or God is peace, God is hope or resilience or joy or justice, God is all these things and God is so much more. But as the psalmist says, that God, that God that loves us, that is full of grace and peace and joy, God does not desire for us to go about our lives in anxious toil. But Sabbath, Sabbath that reminds us of who and whose we are, Sabbath that affirms our belovedness and our enoughness, God invites us to Sabbath that is restorative and it is revolutionary. Friends, as God's people, I believe that we can change the world. But I also know that to do this, we also have to allow ourselves to be changed, to be reformed and transformed by a God who also calls us to Sabbath and to rest. This morning, I'm going to leave you with a blessing. And so I invite you to get comfortable and maybe close your eyes and to hear this blessing written by Jan Richardson. If you would enter into the wilderness, do not begin without a blessing. Do not leave without hearing who you are, beloved, named by the one who has traveled this path before you. Do not go without letting it echo in your ears. And if you find it is hard to let it into your heart, do not despair, for that is what the journey is for. I cannot promise this blessing will free you from danger, from fear, from hunger or thirst, from the scorching of the sun or the fall of the night. But I can tell you that on this path there will be help. I can tell you that on this path there will be rest. I can tell you that you will know the strange graces that come to our aid only on a road such as this that fly to meet us, bearing comfort and strength, that come alongside us for no other cause than to lean themselves toward our ear and with their curious insistence whisper our name. Beloved, beloved, beloved. Amen.